0: All right, well, welcome to The Profit Roadmap. I'm Cody Owen. As always, I am alongside Bear Duplissy. And hey, we've got a special treat for you guys today. Uh, as you guys all know, we just uh, came off of doing uh, SA4 Next, our annual conference. And we wanted to give our listeners that weren't able to make it out this year uh, a taste of what the conference is all about. And maybe uh, if you came to the conference this year, but you weren't at the conference last year, uh, what we've got for you is uh, the talk that our CEO Jonathan Potoshnik, gave at SA three. So we're going to be uh, serving that up to you today on the profit roadmap. We had that audio recorded from uh, from a couple years ago, and we think that it's good stuff still still applies
1: today. It's absolutely fantastic stuff, and the great, uh, you know, the the really interesting thing is is that you know this you know at the time you know people played. Quite a quite a bit of money to to actually come to the conference and listen to this talk. I mean, it's worth it's worth its weight in gold, Cody. The fact that we're putting it out there uh, is just absolutely a fantastic opportunity. So even if you weren't uh, there for last year, or if you were, even it's a good refresher for anyone with uh, that needs some kind of you know just some encouraging words, challenging words, and to to help you kind of get going in the right direction or, or kind of reset you know, for the upcoming season coming this spring. And for those people who didn't, uh, who didn't actually listen to it at all, um, it's worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, uh, this is going to want to make you sign up for the conference next year, even though this is last year's material, it's going to make you want to sign up for the conference next year. Um, and uh, I think it's just absolutely fabulous stuff. We had a few non-members out for this year. It was great meeting them. And uh, they're probably going to soon be members as well. So they'll be part of the fold, so to speak. And uh, and uh, it's just going to be an incredible opportunity. So anyone who out there listens to the Profit Roadmap, really encourage you to take in the next few minutes with Jonathan's kind words, encouraging words, and uh, take it all in.
0: Yeah. So, hey, we're going to we're going to roll the uh, digital tape of Jonathan. He's going to be talking about how you can become the leader in your market. This is the keynote from the Service Autopilot Conference back in 2016. All right. So the theme this weekend is
2: about leading, leading at your company, leading in your market, dominating your market. It's, it's everything leadership. So you'll notice that a lot of our sessions are tied together along this general concept around this theme. So there's this guy, and he's been in business for quite some time. And if you met him, you would immediately be impressed by his level of intelligence, his level of knowledge. Likewise, you'd immediately realize that this is a really successful guy. If you got to know him, you'd be quite impressed. But what you wouldn't immediately realize is that his journey building his company has been extraordinarily difficult. It's been extremely hard that he's had to make a lot of sacrifices in the first year of his company. He grossed $8,000 in the fifth year of his company. He grossed $300,000 for the first five years of his company. He worked full time as an accountant so that he could fund his company. He was on the brink of bankruptcy for nearly two decades, For about 16 years, his wife lived in fear that the company would go under and that they'd lose their home. And he lived with the same fear. At one point, he had ran up this massive line of credit, and he had to. He was doing the right thing. And then this line of credit got called, and it was a company-ending situation, meaning that if he didn't refinance that line of credit, immediately, they'd be over. And magically he was able to pull it off. And that's just one example of event after event that happened to him that presented massive challenges inside his business. He worked incredible hours. He struggled to be a leader. He struggled to be a great manager. He constantly facing a situation where his competitors were trying to take him down. At one point, the government, after he'd grown his company to a pretty big size, so he's doing millions and millions of dollars. The government got a $24 million judgment against him for back taxes. Now he wasn't doing anything fraudulent. He wasn't doing anything wrong. But what happened is he made a lot of mistakes over the previous decade, decade and a half, maybe two decades growing this company. So now he is facing this really challenging situation. And he, like you and me, he had this vision and he wanted to build this company. He, he had a picture in his mind of what he wanted to accomplish. But like you and me, along the way, he struggled. He was beat down. He questioned himself. He questioned his company. He questioned the future of his business. And you like me, some days you, he thought, is this worth it? Is this worth continuing? But his company turned into a very massive success. And the point I want to make is that building a company is really frickin' hard. It's very difficult, and everyone underst- underestimates how difficult it is. I think that's why we build our first company. And that's why we keep building companies. And most people never make it in business. Now, sure, they last ten years. Uh, they keep they they make it ten years, or maybe they make it twenty years. So the business does exist. It does go on, but. They had this vision in the very beginning of what they wanted to create from the standpoint of a business. They had this vision in the very beginning of the kind of personal life they wanted to live, the things they wanted to accomplish, and they never actually reached those objectives. They never reached those goals. So yes, they were a success in that their business lasted, but they were not a success in that their business and their life never became what they had originally dreamed of. And many business owners, they struggle and they... They basically put on a happy face that everything's good and all's going well. And you'd assume everything's great. But a ton of business owners at the end of the day, they're suffering. There's nobody to talk to. So you've got a friend and he runs a company and he's really successful, but you can't go to him or you, or you feel it's awkward to go into him and say, man, I'm dying. Like I'm tired. I'm worn out. I. And burned out? I, am I, what am I doing wrong? What don't I know? What don't I understand? And so you as an owner, you sit there and you suffer in silence thinking that maybe it's just you. Maybe these challenges, these struggles, the difficulty of building this thing, the fact that you're not nearly to the size you thought you'd be by this time. You, you sit there and you think maybe it's just me. Like something's wrong with me. But the reality is it's not. That's not the case. It's not just you. This is the struggle that every business owner, every entrepreneur has. Just as bad. Imagine that you're 3 million right now or you're 5 million in revenue. But your vision was that at 3 million or 5 million, it wouldn't quite feel like this. Like, why is it still so challenging? Why are we still having to work so hard? Why do we still have debt? Why do we have all these things going on in our business? Or maybe you live with this nagging sense of fear that the president is going to take us down, that the economy is going to take us down, that the debt in the country is going to take us down, that the debt in our business is going to take us down. You've got all these things going on and they're bouncing around your head and they're constantly nagging at you thinking, geez, what if I build this thing for five or 10 years and it all implodes? Was it worth it? So business is this roller coaster of these highs and these lows. You know, some days you're winning. And it's like, we are going to own the world. We're going to own this market. And other days it sucks. It's not going so well. And you just want to burn the whole company down, fire everybody and go get a job. Like this is just not worth it. And that is what so many people go through. Your spouse can't understand, your family can't understand, your friends that have jobs, none of these nobody can understand. They they cannot possibly understand the volume of pressure that's weighing on our shoulders in terms of making payroll, building the company, taking care of the families that depend on us. And, and, and if you feel like I do, worrying about if you can deliver to them something that will advance their career and give them a better life. Stuff's really challenging. So I want to offer hope. I want to offer encouragement. I do not have all the answers. I'm traveling the exact same road as you're traveling. But I do feel really strongly that I've found a path. Uh, and it's not my invention, but I I believe this path has contributed to my last three businesses being successful, I'm confident that this path will make building a company so much easier and so much faster. And I don't mean easy. I just mean easier. At the end of the day, it's still a challenge to build a company. So the guy I was telling you about, he's Phil Knight. And so if you don't know who Phil Knight is, you'll know him by this. He's the founder of Nike. So I read his memoir recently like in the last couple months. And I have to say, I think it's one of the best memoirs or autobiographies or whatever the terminology is you want to use. I'm not sure which way you use that term, but I think it's one of the best that I've read. It was fantastic. And the book's called Shoe Dogs. In fact, if you want to be encouraged, if you've been struggling, and I have to believe you all have, because I have, everybody has, everybody I talked to struggled at some point, maybe you're not right now, but Maybe you will be in three months or five months or a year. So if you want to be encouraged and you want to be built up, I'd highly recommend reading his book. I truly think it was one of the best books I read. I came After reading it, I told several people in our office about it. Also, the book to the right, The Hard Things About Hard Things, is a phenomenal book. Now, it has a lot of technology references in it, but you just realize that the scale of what some people have done and what they're building is incredible. And the stuff that we're dealing with, not that big not compared to some of the stuff they've been through. So the fascinating thing about Phil Knight is that he didn't really believe in or trust in marketing when he started his company, which is really ironic given that Nike is a marketing machine. He also didn't name the company. He didn't design the swoosh, which is their their famous logo. Um, he didn't even design his shoes for this first seven years. He resold someone else's shoes as a distributor. It's amazing to me. That company in, at the time it wasn't Adidas, but they eventually became, so he didn't do a lot of the things that made his company into a $30 million or $30 billion success. His team did most of that stuff. And that's a really, really important concept. That's one worth filing away in the back of your mind. His team did most of the work, most of the stuff, most of the invention. I'm going to come back around to that. So Phil had this vision for his company. He saw a picture of where he wanted to go. He started the company. He took the risks. He was the glue that kept this company moving. He was the glue that kept the company moving towards division, kept everybody together, kept the thing from imploding. He was the venture capitalist in the beginning. Now, he was the venture capitalist in that he hardly had any money into, he put the he had into the business, and then he borrowed a little bit of money from his dad, and then he borrowed on lines of credit, then he mortgaged his house, and then he secured all the debt he could possibly find. So he was the venture capitalist. He wasn't rich, but he acted as the bank for his company. So without him, no matter how smart, capable, everybody else on his team was, there'd be no Nike. So your job and my job our jobs to be the Phil Knight of our companies. We have the vision and we must find a way to keep everybody marching forward inside the company towards fulfilling that vision. So Phil's book doesn't talk about the majority of the uh, stuff that I'm going to talk about for the next hour, but I, without question, feel that what made him successful, the path that he followed, even though he doesn't talk about in the book, is exactly what I'm about to talk about. My belief is this, if you follow what I'm about to describe, everything in your business will be easier. It'll be more profitable, it'll move faster, you'll enjoy building it more, be worth more someday if you go to sell it. Just across the board, the three things that we're about to talk about will make all of that so much easier. So this weekend, you're going to spend your time learning about tactics focusing on tactics some of the things you might already know so they're going to become reinf- they're going to get reinforced and by tactic i mean we're going to talk about how can you go out into the marketplace and do a better job marketing and what are specific ways that you can bring more clients to your business how can you go out into the market and recruit and hire the best employees and then when you have those employees how can you figure out if they're doing the right thing inside your company if you have the right people on the team we're going to talk about how to become far more profitable we're going to talk about how to become a power user and an expert at Service Autopilot. That stuff, I call those tactics. What I'm going to talk about for the next hour is foundation. It's foundational stuff. It's the stuff that I feel most owners skip and they focus on the tactics. But if you get the foundation correct, all the tactics that you pile onto your business, all the things you learn and you go out and you implement, they'll work so much better. So we're going to talk about foundational concepts. Almost every single problem that you're experiencing, almost every single problem that you're going to experience in the future can be solved by someone else. The problem is we all think we have to solve it ourselves or we limit ourselves because we don't know how we could ever get big because we don't, we think to ourselves, I don't know how I'm going to solve those problems when they happen to me. The wonderful thing about a tactic is that It's 2016, like we're, we've been preceded by a ton of business owners, a ton of really smart people have built really amazing companies. We can model what they've done. We can copy what they've done. We can swipe what they've done from the area of tactics. I just described what tactics are. We can model that stuff. We don't have to create this stuff. We don't have to think about this stuff. We don't have to imagine all this stuff for ourselves. The thing though, that you can't have somebody else hand you the thing that you have to do the hard work on and the hard thinking on. That is the foundational stuff, the stuff I'm going to talk about. You've got to, you've got to figure this part out for yourself. And if you get this part right, then all the tactics, as I said, work better. And then you ultimately end up looking like a business genius. If you get this stuff wrong, then I think you're pretty much doomed to a life of struggle. It doesn't mean you won't be successful to some degree. It doesn't mean you won't have a business. It just means there will always be a struggle. And you'll never quite get to where you should have got. So to buy into the three concepts that I'm about to cover, the foundational items, I need you to buy in on four ways of thinking. I think they're critical. If you don't think this way, I don't know how you can truly implement the three things I'm about to talk about. So the first one is a belief that alternative approaches work. The the status quo, the way the industry runs, the way your market runs, the way your competitors operate is not actually the only way it could be done. The way you're doing it right now, not actually the only way to do it. There might be a different, better path. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that's how you and I have to do it. I mean, if you really think about the end of the day, we're all living in a world that was totally invented by somebody else that preceded us. They made up all these rules. All the way down to the system of money that we use. Totally made up by somebody else. We're living in their world. Why can we not craft our businesses the way we want to run them? Why can we not do things the way we want to do it? Why do we have to do it exactly like everybody else? So I'm asking that you consider having a willingness to have a very open mind. Number two, a new form of self-talk. So I'm asking that you, the conversation that you have in your head is different We stop saying to ourselves, oh, well, that won't work in my market. Oh, my customers, they won't do that. Oh, they won't buy that way. Oh, no, no, they're not going to pay that that kind of money. That's a really dangerous conversation to have with yourself because it limits what you're going to be willing to do and try. Or another way you might do it is maybe you don't have that self-talk, but what you say is, well, when I get a bit bigger, we'll implement these things. We'll do these things. We'll try those things. Or... Maybe when I figure out where the economy is going and if everything's going to be okay and we're not going to implode, okay, well then I'll take some of these risks and I'll try a few things. Number three, I believe you have to have a belief that the future is going to be vastly different than it is today. And I'd argue, and I believe this, I'm not just saying this, I believe it's going to actually be better. In spite of all the insanity, I believe that the future is actually going to be better than it is today. Just because something hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean it won't happen. And what I mean by that is the the news cycle hypes everything that's coming way in advance of that thing actually happening. For example, I read a lot of tech news. So if you read the tech news, we should be going to Mars pretty soon. Um, artificial intelligence is probably going to take us all down and destroy us. And I'm expecting a driverless car anytime now. That's the state that we're living in right now. Like everything is like right on the cut reality is artificial intelligence has actually been around for a really long time. It's just that it's really starting to advance. But we probably won't see crazy stuff for quite a number of additional years. We're not going to see driverless cars truly for quite some time. They may not be commonplace for 20 years in, in, in regards to being everywhere. So the news cycle hypes everything, we get all excited, we think, oh, wow, all this change is happening, and then we don't actually see all that change manifest, and so there's this possibility that the narrative in our brain is, well, you know, everybody talks that stuff, but I don't really see it, I don't feel it, I don't notice it. But the real innovation, the real breakthrough, the real transformation happens after the news cycle. So it's hyped It dies down. It's quiet. We're now hyping the next thing. And during that period of time, all the big transformations coming. And the reason I talk about transformation is it's very key to what I'm about to talk about. Number four, this is, well, they're all important, but I'm going to say this is the most important of the four. I feel very strongly that you have to have a very clear vision of the kind of business you want to create. Like you want to, you want to see it. What kind of team do I want to build? What kind of company do I want to be? What kind of client do I want to serve? What kind of processes and systems do I want to have? How big do I want my company to be? And then you want to do the same thing with your personal life. You want to, you want a vision of where am I going? Like, what's my family going to look like? What kind of parent am I going to be? What kind of things are we going to own? What kind of lifestyle are we going to live? Am I going to actually have hobbies? Like if you don't picture these things and you don't know where you're going, then how in the world are you going to end up where you want to be? This is not a new concept. It's imperative that we have a vision for our company because we use this vision as the foundation to do the next three things I'm about to talk about. Without this vision, without knowing what you want, what the goal is, who you want to become, how you want to live, the kind of person you want to be, how can you possibly craft a game plan? So if you'll craft a vision and you'll do what I'm about to discuss, I really, really believe, and I've experienced this firsthand, your life your business, it will truly be totally different in five years. And so I want to talk to you about the foundational items. So there's this concept. It's called the Boston Box. It was developed by the Boston Consulting Group. And, and basically what it's, this is quite some time ago that this uh, concept was developed. And basically what they're looking to do is they're trying to figure out when they take their capital and they invest it in a company, They have all these companies that they could potentially invest in. Well, where should they put their capital to get the highest return? And so what this Boston box concept does, it's a very simplistic model. It considers the current market share of a company that they're evaluating. And then what it does is it looks at the market that that company serves and it says, okay, how fast is this market growing? What's the growth potential of this market? And if... A company has a dominant share in a market, and they're in a market that's growing extraordinarily fast. The belief is that in spite of subpar management, in spite of poor decision-making, in spite of the mistakes that will happen inside that company, that company probably has an inordinate or a very high probability of making significant profit. And this model's been around for a long time. Bain & Capital used it. It was very big for Bain & Capital. It's been modeled by a lot of companies. So as I said, the Boston box, it's broken into four categories. And in the top left, you have what's called a rising star. That's a company that's in a high growth market, and they also own a high percentage of market share. And so the idea, as I said, is they would invest their capital in this type of company. So... This isn't a perfect application for your business. I I say it to make a point. Most of us do not dominate our markets. We don't have the majority of market share. But might this way of thinking be really, really important? Might it be that if we want to give ourselves a really high probability of being really successful, of growing something really fast, of maybe making it a little bit easier than the way it is for all of our competitors, might we focus on massive growth areas? Geographic markets that are growing, service lines that are growing, niches that are growing, industries that are growing, if they're growing at 10% plus a year, 20% plus a year, might it be that we have this really unique opportunity to grow faster than everybody else? So when Hurricane Katrina happened, I was in the cleaning business. We cleaned most of the major movie theaters in Louisiana, Mississippi, southern Texas. Our properties were hit. And we couldn't get to our properties. The the team that we already have, they cleaned the property every night. They could get there because they live there. But now there's all this destruction. All the as, if you'll remember, it was a disaster. Like the properties are sh- shut down. the The company's number one goal: Cinemark, AMC, Regal, all the movie theater chains. Number one goal: Get my property back up and running. Get me back online. We're bleeding cash, and so they wanted us to come help. They'll take whoever they can get, come help us clean this mess up. They're bringing in anybody they can from a construction standpoint. We couldn't get, so the employees that lived there, we were fine, but when we moved our other team members into that market, we were staying in hotels two hours away, driving back and forth every day. This went on forever. So imagine that scenario. You have everybody in the United States flocking to, the area where all the destruction happened, and they're now all business owners. And the Cinemarks and AMCs and every other business in the world will hire whoever they can get. Can you you nail? Can you install windows? Can you clean carpet? Great, you're hired. We'll take you. That's an opportunity of a massive growth market. There were all kinds of subpar people that came to that market and made a fortune because the market needed whoever they could get. There was a ton of buying going on. That's the gist of the converse the concept now it doesn't have to be that level we don't need a disaster we simply need a market where it's growing where there's a lot of opportunity and this should really take up a lot of your consideration should really you want to look for these opportunities in fact i'm this is something i've been thinking about so much for so long that at 11:15 i'm going to have a conversation from the stage here with Mike McCallowitz And he wrote a book here just recently called Surge. And when I read the book or saw that it was coming out, I was really excited. And I thought, oh, this is the perfect conversation for this weekend as this is probably the concept I most think about, most believe in. I think it's your massive competitive advantage. So we're going to focus on specifically opportunity. I also want you to consider where everything's going. So I think it's really, really important to be aware of the opportunity in the market and where that opportunity is going because I think that will guide, I don't think, I know, that will guide the direction of where you should take your company. So as business owners, we face this incredible amount of risk because the world is going to change faster than it's ever changed before. It's happening now, but it's going to get faster. But the cool thing about that is If we're aware of this and we capitalize on these opportunities and our mindset is such that we're looking for them, it's also the greatest opportunity ever. If you're a little player in a market and everybody else is big, what if you capitalize on these opportunities and they don't? So I'd really strongly encourage you to develop this mindset to say, what's coming? What are the opportunities? Where should I be taking my business? So I'd like to give you some very specific examples I can't tell you exactly how to do this, and these topics, I mean, truly we need to spend days on this topic, but I want to get you thinking in a specific way so that you'll go home and you'll talk to others, you'll read the right books, you'll have conversations while you're here. So I want to give you some examples where maybe if you hear the example, it'll register for you, and then you can look for the clues in your market. So CityTurf started in 2005. I'm starting in the lawn care business. I was a high school kid at one point that mowed lawns. I'd been out for a long time. I don't know anything about the lawn care business. I I truly don't. I'm like, I'm the guy you really didn't want to compete against because I was underbidding everything and screwing up your whole world for selling. I did not know what I was doing. And I slowly figured out, most of us probably were in that same boat. We figured it out. Well, I have no illusions about why CityTurf is now one of the dominant companies in our market. It's not because I was a genius. It's not because I knew the industry. It's not because I understood lawn care. It's not any of those things. We capitalized on an opportunity. That opportunity was SEO. Search engine optimization 2005 was a concept. It had been around. It was not new at all. But focusing on it. I had a technology background, so I built tons of websites. I read all kinds of articles on SEO. I started doing all that myself, and I did it for years. Ultimately, I turned it all over to Andrew, my brother, and he took it all over with his marketing company. But I did that for years. I would do it at night. I'd work on it. In spite of everything we didn't know, in spite of the underbidding, in spite of the mistakes, we got that right. And so when you went looking for lawn care we were the top player. We had multiple websites at the top of Service Autopilot. We started to get a market share, started to have more trucks in your neighborhood. Then when you look on the web and you see us, oh, and I've seen those yellow trucks, you feel better about the buying decision. Next thing you know, we're really starting to grow. It took years. But I think that was probably one of the absolute most important things we did inside our company. That was a ma- massive opportunity in 2005. We capitalized on that opportunity. You might think of it as a shift in the marketplace the shift in the way that buyers were buying. Now, that opportunity is gone today. That doesn't exist. Now if you're not playing the SEO game or you're not getting high rankings in Google, it's a disadvantage. But having our high rankings in most markets is no longer a massive advantage. It's pretty much all negative if you're not in that boat. But you don't have an opportunity to dominate your competition because so many of your competitors have now jumped on that bandwagon. Service autopilot. We're nobody. We started in 2000, basically we launched roughly in 2010. We're building in 2009. Our competitors have been in business for 10 and 20 years in most of the segments that we compete with desktop software. That means they have tons of functionality. They've been hopefully listening to their clients for 20 years, building what their clients want. We come into the market and we have this little tiny system that can do a number of things, but it can't do a ton of things. We're at a massive disadvantage our opportunity was we were one of the first movers in cloud. So this is 2009. We're doing most of the building. 2010 is when we start to pick up our clients. 2010, we're a leader in cloud across the board in the space that we're in. But cloud technology, the cloud concept was first, the first mover in that was Salesforce in roughly 99, 2000. 10 years later, When we do it, it's still a wide open opportunity in all the industries that we all live in. It was a huge competitive advantage. We'd have clients, members move to us that were basically walking away from all kinds of functionality, from all kinds of capability, technology, because their buying decision was based around, I want a cloud system. I want to operate from my truck. And that was a massive opportunity. We caught that opportunity in this market. Third example, if you've ever seen my Lawn Care Millionaire channel, um, I have a website, Lawn Care Millionaire, but I also have a YouTube channel. We started that in 2009. We didn't even have software. John was writing code as fast as he could possibly write code so he could get this thing out. I started Lawn Care Millionaire. Lawn Care Millionaire is inbound marketing. So if you haven't seen it, basically I answer business questions on video. It's really all I do. Not high production, pretty simple. I've got about seven or 800 of them at this point. So Lawn Care Millionaire was the concept of inbound marketing. It didn't have that name back then. You could call it content marketing. You could call it educational-based marketing. Not a new concept. Guys have been writing white papers. They've been producing case studies. They've been recording how to improve your business on cassette tapes and mailing those things out forever. YouTube's a few years old, I start doing videos online, people watch the videos, they like us, they trust us, they buy our software, it's made us millions and millions of dollars. We weren't first movers on that concept, inbound marketing, it didn't even have that name back then. Inbound marketing, my YouTube videos, and being cloud for Service Alpi is why we're standing here today. It gave us that little edge that we needed that made everything so much easier. You want to look for these opportunities in your business. They're in marketing. They're in recruiting of employees. They're in building the company. They're in who you choose to serve. So what opportunities exist now? Well, they're different. They vary by every market. I just gave that example. I was pretty late, or John and I were pretty late to the whole online cloud computing game. Salesforce did it 10 years earlier, but we weren't late in this market. We were first, or I think we were pretty close to first. That was our advantage. So in your market, in your niche, by client type, you've got all these opportunities. You've just got to figure out what they are. You can look at other industries and say, what are they doing? Where are they moving? Are they doing that yet in my industry? Because it's probably coming to your industry. So that's why this just deserves a tremendous amount of thought, tremendous amount of awareness. So think about this one. Right now in Dallas, there's a move towards signing up for service Via an on, via the website, online sign up for lawn care, for cleaning, all these different services. There's a move towards that right now. It's an opportunity. I'm not yet capitalizing on it, but it's an opportunity. So we have individuals that come to Dallas from New York, from California. These are individuals moving to this area from all over the country. They're generally coming here as somewhat tech savvy. So they are high probability buyers through an online sign up system. But if you think about the villages, which is north of Orlando, the biggest retirement community in the world, that's probably not a coming opportunity just yet. It's an opportunity in Dallas. It might be a coming opportunity at the villages in Florida in three or four years. I don't know when, but that opportunity will eventually arrive. You want to be aware of that. What's happening in other markets? What's happening? What opportunities are there that might come to my market that I could apply either now or in the future? There's another trend going on for all the companies that are lawn care owners. So our business, uh, CityTurf, we do a lot of mowing. Uh, we have 7,400 clients. Not all of them are mowing clients, but we have a lot of clients, and a lot of them do mowing. Right now, I notice a trend. I don't think it's a completely new trend, but a lot of the guys that I think are pretty savvy when it comes to running a good company, they're all, and because they're savvy, they're saying. You know what? All the profits in lawn care, fertilization we control, the profits in pest control. I'm going to reinvent my company. I'm just going to focus on what's high margin. I don't disagree. I think it's a really sound strategy, but now it creates a new opportunity. So I've been thinking our business might evolve away from mowing, but should it? If my best clients, oh, excuse me, my best competitors, the ones with the best quality, the best customer service leave the mowing market, what does that mean for me? If I could figure out how to solve the labor problem, What does that mean for me? That's a pretty damn good thing, to be honest. Now imagine that I can survive in the mowing business for the next five or ten years, and we get to a place where we have robotic mowers. I've already got more. I already have market share in our market, but I have even greater market share. I've held on. Well, most of my best competitors have left and moved elsewhere. They're not even thinking along the lines of mowing anymore. Robotic mowers show up. My trucks show up. Uh, we, 10 mowers scatter. They mow 10 properties. I have a detail guy doing edging, line trimming, and blowing. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but what if that happens? Or what if we are leasing equipment to our clients? My detail guys show up. They do all the detail work. They check on the equipment. They make sure everything's working right. We're leasing the mower. What if I last in the market five to 10 more years while everybody leaves? I, If I'm not already a massive number of clients, but I go to 20,000 accounts in my current market really fast, with price advantage, with the simplified offer? I don't know, but could I? A twenty For me and my market, 20,000 accounts is a $25 million business. We sell double that in upsells to the client. If we can make you a mowing client, we will make at least twice what we make on mowing on other services. That's a $50 million business in a very small market. I think that's totally possible. I have no idea if it'll happen, but are you thinking that way? Because these things really are important. If you're not thinking about them now, you'll be caught off guard and figure this out. They'll win. They'll outdo you. So all I'm saying is it's really important to pay attention to, from a personal standpoint, we have to reinvent ourselves. There'll be a 2.0, a 3.0, a 4.0 of us. We have to learn. We have to change. We have to become new individuals. We have to go after the new opportunity. There'll be a 2.0, a 3.0, a 4.0 of our businesses too. It used to be Maybe the 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't know. I wasn't around for those times. But my theory is that things move much slower. Transformation was much slower. But now it's getting really fast. So my argument is you want to look for segments, cities, geographic areas, construction areas that are growing by 10% or greater. Where are all the new homes being built? Where are? Where is there a lot of turnover? In our market, homes churn at 20% a year. That's a really great opportunity. If homes are churning at 20% a year and I'm the best guy at getting new homeowners, I've got an advantage over all my competitors that are not the best guys at getting new homeowners. Sod installation. If you're in a market where all the trees are maturing, then that means it's going to be a growth market in the coming years for replacing the lawns. If you're in the cleaning industry and you want to niche in a market, elderly health care. Long-term retirement, growth markets, for sure, if you want to pick a niche. Water restrictions, been a niche for a long time. It's been a growth market for a long time. I don't think it's going to change. It's definitely not changing in my market. So what if you built your business where you lined up and capitalized on all these opportunities in all these areas that were growing more than 10% a year, 20% a year? Wouldn't that make everything so much easier? So in the very beginning of CityTurf, we had this opportunity to take on a huge amount of work, like $700,000 worth of work when we had no revenue in Austin. And the opportunity that was given to us was, can you come in and become experts at retention ponds? I don't know anything about retention ponds, but in Austin, they're a big deal apparently. And so the opportunity was, if you guys could be experts at retention ponds, then we have all these commercial retail properties. We'll give you those properties. Think about that concept. We didn't do it. Think about that concept. If you're an expert in some little segment that's growing really fast and there's demand and there's pain and you can come in the back door of the, of the competitors that already exist in the market, be the expert at that. Could you take the whole entire account? So once you figure out your opportunities, you want to craft a business model around capitalizing on those opportunities. You want to think about the vision. That you have for your company, you want to think about the opportunities that are coming to the marketplace, your competitive advantages, and then you build a business model around that. Your business model determines everything. Case in point, the person that you marry in life and the career that you choose determines the majority of the rest of your future. It'll be great or it'll suck. (laughs) That's the same with your business plan. I'm sorry, your business model. If you get it wrong, it's, it could be really painful. If you get it right, it could be fantastic. Your business model is going to determine if you make a lot of money, if you make no money, if you make a little bit of money. It's going to determine if you can lock out your competition. It's going to be, determine how hard it is for your competition to compete with you. It's going to determine so much about your business. It's going to determine how hard it is to build, how hard it is to manage. So imagine, if you would, that you are a badass investor. That's who you are now. You are an investor. You don't own a company in the sense that you're not inside that company working and you have a hundred million dollars inside the bank. So it's your money and you want to grow this money. Well, how do you grow a hundred million dollars if you're a badass investor? You look out into the marketplace and you say, where's the opportunity? What's coming? What do I think the future is going to look like? You study these different markets. You look at the numbers in those markets and you make guesses on where the future is going. And then you go out and say, I want to be in that business. I want to be in the business that has the opportunity. I want to be in the business where the market is going. And then you say, I'm going to spend some of my capital. I'm going to build an awesome team to go capitalize on this opportunity. That's what you do with a lot of money. But what most of us do, it's like, okay, I grew up in Wiley. I'm going to build a business in Wiley. I did that. It's what most of us do. Oh, I, I look around and my compares are all doing this thing and they're offering those services. I'm going to do those services. Oh, I'm a lawn care guy. So that puts me in the lawn care box. That means I can do this, this, and this. I'm a cleaning company. That puts me in the cleaning box. I can do these things. And so we limit our business model. We copied someone else. Even if we didn't think about our business model, we have a business model. We're living by somebody else's business model. The same one everybody else in the industry has that results in over 90% of companies never hitting a million dollars. That's a crappy business model. You could be a rock star, but you'll never be a rock star if you get this stuff wrong. You'll never become who you should have been. You'll you'll never live up to the potential that you had. And you'll constantly think, you know, what's wrong with me? You'll never, I mean, it's really as simple as that. You'll never be the person that you could have been if you get this stuff wrong. If you choose the wrong business model, if you pick the wrong market, pick the wrong client type, pick the wrong service offerings, or as you mature as a business owner and you learn these lessons, you don't mold and change the business to go in those directions. There's a tremendous amount of talent in the room, but there's also a whole lot of people that are really beat down, really frustrated. Like, why is this not going faster? Why is this so hard? Why do I look at other people and it feels like it's going better and faster for them? My argument is, might it partly be your business model, the market that you're serving, the marketing that you're doing, the pricing, the way you get paid, the things you don't offer, the things you don't do, the opportunities you ignore. Those are all business model things. So what we want to do is we want to figure out what is it that our clients want. And then we want to craft a business around that, but also taking into consideration our vision, taking into consideration our opportunity, but we don't have to give our clients everything they want. And the reason I interject this part is because what happens is if your business model is we're going to be phenomenal at customer service and we're going to be great at quality, most of your competitors are not. So now you're solving your client's problems. And now your clients want them you to solve all their problems. Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Then they're almost frustrated when you won't do those things for them and solve all their problems because well, the rest of the crummy competition, they're, they're looking to you to solve these problems. And so now we start taking on this service and we start doing all these new things to answer the demands of our clients. That could be right and could be an opportunity, but a lot of times we massively overcomplicate our companies. And the next thing we know, we have a company that's a nightmare to run. And I interject that because it's important to think about that kind of stuff. We start out maybe with a company that's not too complicated to run. And the next thing we know, we wake up. It's like, how did I get here? So my argument is, might your business model be the reason that you're all stressed out, exhausted, and frazzled? Might it be the reason that after all these years, you're still working insane hours? That Like most of the business is still on your shoulders, in the beginning, of course, you're going to work a lot of hours. You don't have any money. You're trading time for money. You can't afford people, so you got to do the work. If you're still doing that after all these years, then it probably means that either you didn't price your work correctly, so you couldn't hire anybody, or it means you're not delegating anything because you have you don't trust anybody. But these are all things that we could work with. You build your business model around the, the strategy and the vision that you want to execute. And I've said that a couple of times, and I, I want to keep saying it because it's really critical. That's first we figure out version vision, then we figure out opportunity, then we craft the business model around it. Business model again is the geographic area we serve. It's the clients we want. It's the services you offer. It's all of those things. Your business model is going to determine how much money you make, how successful you are. So I've come to conclude that this concept of business model innovation is really, really important. I could spend my whole talk on this topic. The future, as I said earlier, it's really scary. There's a lot of disruption coming. And I feel strongly that if you don't put yourself in a position to be a top three player in your market, that you incur a lot of risk, that the majority of the profits possibly not going to come your direction because the majority of profits do go to the major players in a market. If you want the highest chance of selling this thing after years of building it, you want top player inside your market. So I want to give you some examples of how business model innovation have been transformative. In the beginning City CityTurf, I alluded to this earlier, I got started, I didn't know what I was doing, I copied everybody else, and I ended up with this business that I absolutely hated. I was in every service line, I had all the same trucks and equipment, we did the same kind of marketing, everything was basically the same. You can look around the industry, and I pretty much ran that company. I did everything. That was my business, and I hated it. It was horrible. I... I couldn't have I got to a point where I didn't even care if it all ended. I hated it. And then we changed our business. And we changed it very drastically up front, and then we changed it a little more slowly over the next year or two. And the changes that we made, we shrunk our market, we figured out who our ideal clients were, we fired everybody else. We um, we figured out that we are for the mid-tier client. We're not for the high-end client. We focused on residential. We left commercial. I was all commercial when I started the business. I left that. I kept just a little bit of commercial. We um, we eliminated a lot of the services that we sold. We eliminated the services that relied on me. We simplified our marketing. All we did was SEO, door hangers, and uh what we call street mailers. We... Simplified our service offering, as I said, we reduced our services that we, we offered. We simplified our offering uh, down to the point that we could, so we simplified our service offering all the way down to the place where we could buy the same kind of truck, the same kind of equipment. We simplified our selling process, our estimating process. We simplified all, we simplified the way we build. We, we made everything easy. And then afterwards, what our business ended up looking like was that when you call us, we can sell you into one or one to three services over the phone. And then after we sell you, take you off the market as a client, we can upsell you into the other services that we sell. We simplified it our target market that when you did call, we could quote most of the pricing right over the phone. We got rid of contracts. We could close you over the phone, nothing to sign, don't have to quote you a big number. We simplified the business so that we only had to have, so that mowing crews only mowed, bush trimming crews only trimmed, pest control only did pest control. It was easier to train. It was simpler. We get paid fast. We charge a credit card every Tuesday for all the work we did last week. That allows us to line up payroll and, and getting paid. So, for example, on Tuesday we get paid. Wednesday the money's in our account. Wednesday we make payroll. Simplified the business. Reduced a lot of cash flow projection. Just made, made everything easier. I could just keep going down the list. We simplified all these things. We run the entire company out of 45 or 50 storage units that are 5 by 5 all the way to like 15 by 30. We have a 1,500 square foot office. We have an acre of lease land around the storage units. It's a very simple model, but it's also a big business. We've kept our costs down. We've kept everything simple. We haven't complicated our lives. Even after all these years where it's tempting to complicate our lives, we have resisted complicating our lives. There's a lot of things we should be doing right now. We're not doing them because it slows you down in the long run. We had an overly complicated business model like everyone else. The magic was we figured out how to simplify it. I really think that was part of the magic to CityTurf. Yes, it was SEO. We capitalized on the opportunity, but we also simplified the business model. They both were critical to that business. So I wanted to use an example of extreme simplification. So Riley started his car wash business. Riley's my son. I'm extremely proud of him. So he started a car wash business because he's buying his own car and he's saving for that car. So this is a car that he washed just to give you a picture of Riley. The theme here is that I want to talk about two concepts around simplification, offer simplification and marketing simplification. Now you might discount and say, hey, Riley's 14, I've got to feed my family, I've got to you know take care of my kids. I, I can't go this simple. My basic argument is could you apply this concept? It's a way of thinking. And so I want to give you an example. So when Riley is starting his company and we're talking about his business, my advice is, hey, I don't know much about cleaning cars, so my advice is hey, go out in the marketplace. Look at all the websites. What do they offer? What are the packages? How do they price? What do they say on their website? When you're building the website, you can use some of that copy, and you can figure out how you need to price the services. So Riley ends up with three offerings. He, I can't recall exactly with our basic car cleaning, interior, exterior cleaning, and then a full detail. So we've got three price points. We have three plans. The dilemma, though, is so Riley, and I was involved in giving this advice, sort of copied the market. Because we didn't know anything. That's a lot of times how we start. But Riley's dilemma is he needs things to be ultra simple. He only knows so much. He's 14. There's guys in the market that have been doing this for 20 years. They can do carpet cleaning. They can do paint restoration. He doesn't know that stuff yet. But the market actually doesn't even care about. The 80% of the market only wants you to show up, take care of their car, do a fantastic job, and get it done fairly quick. They don't actually care about most of that stuff. So Riley... Needs to focus his business just on what the core market cares about. Also, he's fighting a stereotype. Most young kids, they don't look you in the eye, they don't show up, they don't call you back, they don't—they're not there on time. You can go, or they—they stick with this thing for like a month and then they're done. He's got all these stereotypes he's fighting. Like I think people generally are excited seeing a young kid out there building a business, and so they want to give him a chance. But at the same time, he's fighting a stereotype. So if they take their car to a car wash, get a forty-dollar car wash, and it looks okay, they're like, "Well, that's how it is. It was only forty bucks." But if Riley gives them a forty-dollar car wash and he does a really good job, but there's water spots and a few issues. He couldn't make it perfect. It was only 40 bucks. Is he battling a stereotype? Well, that's kind of what you'd expect from a 14 year old. So his best case scenario was he could do a full detail because if he could do a full detail, he could make your car perfect. He could wow you. Then you would talk about him. So then we realized like, why do we even offer three services? He never wants to sell the first two anyway. The service that allows him to wow everyone is the full detail. So he simplified his business. And I say we, Riley's been doing the majority of the work. I've just put a little few suggestions here and there. He's the guy thinking about this stuff. He simplified his business. Now there's one offering. You either want him or you don't. I detail cars. It's 99 bucks. This is what includes, I'm either for you or I'm not. And he knows with certainty every time he does the work, it's going to be fantastic. And he knows every time he does the work, that's going to be good enough that he could get somebody to talk about him in the marketplace. And that's what he needs right now. He's trying to get his business off to a a good start. So I can now tell you his whole marketing strategy in about three minutes. So we live in this area called Twin Creeks. There's three neighborhoods, Twin Creeks, one, two, three, and an area called Lexington. They all share a... Facebook homeowners page where homeowners can participate in Facebook. They can read about things that are going on. So his whole business got started by posting on Facebook that he was in the car washing business and linking to it. He got his first client. Client loved the work. They actually gave him a hundred dollar tip. He'd actually cleaned cars before this, but in our neighborhood, the way he got launched, they gave him a hundred dollar tip. They went on Facebook and they posted. He got another client. He did the job. They went on Facebook and they gave him another review. So he started this little cycle where every time they give him a review, he bumps back up to the top of Facebook. Then here recently he's put together a two-page handwritten letter that will go in an envelope. Behind that letter will be the testimonials of all the people that live in Twin Creeks that like him, that have loved his work. And he only markets to Twin Creeks. He only shows up on Twin Creeks' Facebook page. He's totally for Facebook, right? In Twin Creeks. Every time he's marketing, he's only talking about Twin Creeks. Every time you see a testimony, you only see a testimony from somebody in Twin Creeks. How powerful is that? So now he cleans your car, you give him a testimony on Facebook, the homeowners association sees it in Facebook, and you're getting something on your door from Riley, all reinforcing it. He hasn't spread his market out. He's not trying to serve everybody. He's serving Twin Creeks homeowners. He's just for you. And everybody's talking about him. Or they will be eventually. My point here is that's massive marketing simplification. That gives him a massive competitive advantage to be really profitable way early in his business. And it's really simple. It's really effective. That's what he needs. And so if you have a simple business model, it can really zero your mind. It can really make everything so much easier to run. It'll simplify your marketing. It'll simplify your hiring. It'll simplify performing the work. The business model concept is just critically important. Complexity. Complexity in your business should only come after you've started to build something that's working. You started to build marketing that's working. You started to build the team. You started to build management. That's when you want to add complexity. It's exactly what Nike did. The only thing they did in the beginning is they made running shoes. They made the best running shoe for the top runners in the world. And they lived in that market. They went to the races. They lived at the markets. They hired those individuals to work at Nike. The point I'm trying to make is that there's two really important things that Riley did in your business, and I want to pass these thoughts on to you. One is the simplification of options. When you simplify the options, what you're selling to your client it makes everything so much easier. In their mind, there's not a lot of decisions that have to be made. It's fast. It's simple. And our clients, our prospects, they want fast and simple. The other one was I gave the example of marketing simplification. It just actually happens when it's easy. That's really, really important to your overall business model. We can always go back and we can add complexity. One last example to talk about business models. So in the cleaning business, I alluded to it before. When we started that business, just like when I started CityTurf, we did everything. If you're a commercial business, we'd clean your building. So just imagine us as an average commercial cleaning company. We'd do whatever you wanted us to do. And we had an average, mediocre business as a result. Well, afterwards, two things happened. We simplified on price, and we simplified on selling proposition. And the way we did this is Joe, my business partner, operations, I was one of several business partners in his company, he figured out that you could take a low-powered homeowner leaf blower and you could blow all the popcorn to the the front of the theater. That reduced the massive amount of labor on the job. As you know, we sell based on time, so it massively reduced what we needed to charge. As a result, we had this window of opportunity to go take one bid after, take one contract after another because we could come in for so much less. That was price simplification to the client. The value proposition just based on price was tremendous. It was this huge competitive advantage. We figured out, you know, I wouldn't call it leaf blower so much technology, but at the end of the day, it was an application of technology to that business that gave us a massive competitive advantage. Then we greatly simplified the selling proposition. We're competing against Janet King and all these random cleaning companies. They, they clean property, plus they clean movie theaters. We went in and renamed our company and branded ourselves just as a movie theater cleaning company. We became experts at movie theater cleaning. We could walk in the door and say that we understand your unique issues with cleaning screens, cleaning wall carpets. We understand the unique issues that you have because you keep this auditorium completely closed and what that means with mold. We understand the unique opportunities around cleaning popcorn poppers. We understand the challenges around cleaning projection equipment. What an incredible selling proposition when all of your competitors are totally for everybody else. Another example of business model. So if you'd imagine, what if tomorrow you could reinvent your whole company and just do the most profitable services? What if you could just serve the most profitable clients? What if you could, you could only serve the most profitable niches? What would that do to your business? I believe the future at CityTurf for me isn't about being in lawn care, it's about being in services. I don't know what service is yet. The future is we're a service company, we're not a lawn care company. I feel that the, the future of service autopilot is not being scheduled, just scheduling. Like, we're not just scheduling now, we're way more than that. But at the end of the day, if you look at our buyer, our members, you, you bought us because you needed scheduling. I believe the future of service autopilot's automation. That doesn't mean we won't be way better at scheduling in the future than we are now. Maybe that scheduling needs to be automated. That's the future. What is the future of your thing? You need to know it now so you can be marching that direction because it could take five years to realize it. But if you don't see it now, you're going to be five years behind the competitors who are thinking that way. So now that we've defined our business model, the longer we take to think through our vision, the longer we take to figure out the opportunity in the market, The longer we take to craft a business model around that opportunity and that vision, the slower everything's going to go, the harder it's going to be. But if you get that stuff right, everything becomes so much easier. And then once we get that stuff right, what we really have to focus on now is building the team around that opportunity, around that business model. I want to give you the three quick phases that a company goes through. So you've heard this before. So the first phase is we're startup. Okay, this is us working in the business. This is uh, the area that most business owners get stuck. They never get past this. Fifteen years later, they're still doing the work in the business. Um, they're still doing the selling. They're still um, doing the invoicing. They're still doing all of that work. The second phase or phase is we move move to the business owner phase. This is the E Myth book. We're now we're working in the business, delivering the service, delivering the product. Sometimes. But the majority of time, we're spending our time on the business activities, building the business. We're working on the business, as they say, instead of in the business. We're building the team. We're transitioning from doing the work to selling, out of selling, into management. We're putting systems and processes in place. Then that third phase is the investor phase. This is the dream. This is the entire point and purpose and goal of business. Although I don't feel like most people have this as their goal in the point of business. The investor phase is you literally don't have to show up anymore at your company. The investor phase is that your job is to make connections. You've got this thing that needs to happen inside the company. You've got this individual inside the company. You can connect them with somebody external to the company to help move things forward. You're a connector. You're an advisor consultant. You answer the big questions. You're an advisor consultant to your business. You find capital, whether that means you infuse capital or you get outside capital for the business. You direct and guide strategy. You suggest a direction, but you don't get to control it. Your team that's running the company controls it because they have to do it. They have to have buy-in, but you're guiding and directing that. These are the three phases. The faster that you build your team, the faster you move through these phases. So now you have to build the team to execute on that business model. So this is the third foundational item. All of the problems that we're having right now, all the problems you're having right now, every one of them can be solved with team. The three things that you think about at night before you're going to sleep, the things you think about when you wake up in the morning, the things that piss you off every other day inside your business, the things that you're worried about. There's literally somebody else out there in the marketplace that's already solved all these problems. They've already done it. They figured it out. Remember, it's 2016. We're not the first people to build businesses, and we're not the, we're not the first people to figure out how to solve ideas. There's there's literally a person out there that solved everything we want to solve, and that's why a team is a foundational concept. The the deal is you just gotta find that person that could solve your problem. Your business model, as I said, determines who you need on your team. Remember, your business model is designed to capitalize on the opportunity and on the vision. You don't need to know how to do everything yourself. You define the vision, you define the plan. Some of the people you'll need will be full time, some of the people you need, you'll just need them for parts of uh, chunks of time. They'll be consultants, they'll be advisors. Sometimes you don't even know what to do and you just need the answer. Sometimes all you need is contractors. So don't just think in terms of team as just employees. Team is also somebody you need part-time just to get this one thing done, to solve this one thing. Sometimes you don't know the answer. And team is, who am I going to go to that can just tell us how to do it? Instead of taking a year to try to figure out how, who can shortcut it for just a little bit of money and say, do it this way. This is how everybody I work with does it, and it works. So building your team is It's not just about hiring people. It's also about making sure you have the team you you already have doing the right things in the right seats. It's about getting the wrong people out of your company. It's about training your team to be even better. So what is someone on your team really good at? How can you make them even better at that thing? How can you get to a place where the majority of what you're doing inside the company is what you're best at, the thing that gives you energy, the thing that gives you passion? How can you get to a place where as you get bigger, the majority of what the team members are doing is that one thing that they're absolutely best at, or those few things they're best at? Tonight at six o'clock, Jason Cups doing a bonus session on a concept called Colby. I'm totally bought in on it. And it's it talks about this exact thing. How can you get yourself to a place where you live in your passion, you're doing the thing you're best at, that every day when you go home, you're not totally beat down and exhausted because the thing that you are doing gives you energy. And then if you want a really awesome company, and this is takes a while to get there, but how could you get the majority of the people on your team living in that world as well, getting to do the thing they're best at, and every day becoming better at that thing? So Tiger Woods, and I'm not a golf person, so if I get my terms wrong here, um, forgive me, but Tiger Woods at his peak was the best Driver in the world. He could hit the ball farther than anybody in the world. He was not the best guy in the world though that getting out of sand traps. So what he, and I recently saw a documentary on this, so what he and his coaches chose to do is they focused on him becoming even better at what he was already best at. They worked on sand traps, but they worked the majority of their time on becoming even better at hitting the long ball to avoid the sand traps or going past them. That's the concept. How can you get to a place, how can we get our team to a place where Everybody's working on that thing that is their passion, that that is that thing that they're wired to be doing in life. And that's Colby. So I'd really recommend tonight, if you have any interest in that, attend Jason's bonus talk at six o'clock. One of the reasons why building your company gets so much easier after $1 million, it's not that you have some money and that helps. It's that you now have a team and your team is starting to take stuff off your plate your team is starting to deal with stuff that they're really great at that maybe you're not so great at. There are, deal- there are certain people in your company that love doing something you hate doing. The faster you get that stuff off the plate and you give it to somebody else, the happier you are. Not just because the business is bigger, because and not just because you're making more money, because every day when you get to come to work, you get to do stuff you like. You get to do stuff you're good at. It's one of the most important reasons why building a company bigger Going for a big company is really important. I think it's a total fallacy that a small company is easier. I see it all the time. We're on our Facebook group in Service Autopilot. I see it all the time. People talk about it's just easier to be small, or I'm small. I'm proud of being small. I I, that is a That's a tough road. I don't want that road. That means you get to wear all the hats and do all the stuff you don't love for the rest of your life. Going bigger is a better strategy. You get to eventually get to a place where you're living in your unique ability and you're doing what you're best at. That makes everything so much fun. It makes everything so much easier. So I want to have you consider this concept of Moore's Law to illustrate this point. So Moore's Law was uh, a concept that was, I guess you'd say invented or figured out by Gordon Moore in the 60s, and he figured out that if you looked at a square inch of a transistor, the number of transistors on that square inch was doubling every year or year and a half. Using that concept, they made bets on the future in the in the basically they said well if it's doubling every year and a half or so that means the speed of of technology that means the power of software everything's going to be able to double every year and a half well this concept has been applied to all kinds of markets around the world it's been applied to healthcare under different names these similar observations have been made in all kinds of businesses and all kinds of markets the reason that i use this example it's not a perfect example but i i want to illustrate a point in the 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 well let me first say this this principle has been instrumental in the U.S. dominating in many ways around technology. Because here's what happens. Imagine you're Elon Musk building Tesla, SpaceX. It's going to take you five years to design something. You're going to need manufacturing plants to produce it. You've got these massive constraints. You've got to, you've got to be designing and planning now for what we'll see as a consumer five years from now. Well, if you build based on the technology that exists at this moment in time... When your thing comes out in five years, the technology is five years old. When you're designing and thinking and creating, you're building for the technology you think will exist in five years. The way you guess at what's going to exist in five years is based on principles like Moore's Law. You have a guess at what's coming out into the future, and so you're building for that, hoping that the capability and the technology will show up at that time. Building your team is the exact same kind of thinking. You move really slow... And you achieve your vision really slow if you're thinking about the constraints that you have today. Today I have knowledge constraints. I don't know how to solve every problem. Today I have employee constraints. Every t- today I have money constraints. So if you project that onto your business right now, then you don't, you don't go for a big vision. You don't, you don't go after the big dream. You don't hire employees very fast and build your team very fast because you're not confident the money will show up. But if you extrapolate, and Moore's Law is not a perfect application, but I wanted to I wanted to use that concept as a way of thinking. If you believe that we can, if you've proven I can use marketing to bring in leads and I can turn those leads into clients, that you've got some level of confidence that leads are going to keep coming in, then you have a level of confidence the money is going to keep showing up and you'll be able to afford the employees. It's that same kind of concept. Once you get to a place where you know it's going to show up, it's really, really critical That you develop the confidence to know that if we do everything right, we get our foundation right, we're following, we're implementing the tactics, that my knowledge level will double in the next few years. I will know way more than I know now. That I will meet people that will help me answer questions. That my team's ability to get projects done, team's ability to solve problems, all that's going to double. The money we're going to have is going to double. If you believe that's the path, then you'll take and I don't want to use the, I'm going to use the word risk, but I feel like that's the wrong word. You'll, you'll, you'll hire, you'll hire in advance of when you need that person. The way to grow really fast is to say, I'm going to need this person in four months and you get them now. So they're fully trained and ready. And when you need them in four months, they're at speed. That's how you go fast. But most of us, well, I need this person. I don't hire them now. I really need this person. I'll wait. Now it's towards the end of the year. I'll do that next year. That's a really slow growth to path. And so this concept of thinking bigger is really, really critical. So ideally, if you think this way, and you create your vision five years out, and you craft a business plan to get there, if you, if you think through your vision, if you think about the opportunity in the marketplace, and then you design a business model around it, and then you build the team to execute that business model Five years from now, everything will be vastly different. Now, the key is you do all three of those things. It's not that you just do any one of those. Any one of those in isolation won't give you the competitive advantage that I want you to have. So team, the reason I include it is because it's so instrumental in getting us there. It's so instrumental in having a better business, a simpler business, a better life. You know, the reason most of us want to sell our companies is because it's really hard and we're worn out and burned out. But what if you had a team doing most of the work? What if you were making a lot of profit? Would you still want to sell? The place that the, most of us, the place that it comes from that uh, makes us, most of us want to sell is a, a place of pain, not a place of opportunity. The team is very much the answer to this. So my last point about team is that you're probably saying, well, how in the world am I going to pay for the team? If it's if it's that critical, how do I pay for it? And so I want to give you one last point on this. There's If you cannot afford the team, it's one of three things. Maybe I've forgotten a fourth, but I, I, I think it's generally one of three things. One, you're not big enough. You just got to go sell more work. You need more gross, gross revenue to afford the team. The beauty of that is that's a tactical problem. You can learn solutions to that this weekend. Or maybe you're underpricing, and so you have no money to hire the team. No, that's fantastic. There's an answer to that. Jason Cupp's in the room. We, there's consultants in the industry. There's all kinds of people that can help you figure out your financials. Mike McCallowitz is going to be here talking about profit. We can figure this stuff. This is tactical stuff. We can model somebody else who can solve these problems. Or maybe the third is you don't have enough money. And this is the, the final point on team I want to make. This is critical. This is business model stuff. So imagine with me for a moment that... You make a hundred thousand a month. You have a $1.2 million a year business. You bill on net 30 terms. So in April, you do your work. You bill a hundred grand at the end of the month for May. You're during the month of May, you're waiting for that hundred grand to come in it while you bill out another hundred thousand. So April, you bill some of your money starts coming in mid to late May. So you're now basically, uh, you're floating $200,000. Okay. If you're floating $200,000, what that means is that you have $200,000 in money out in the marketplace right now that you don't realize you own. It's your money. It's out there in the marketplace. You're giving it to your clients for free right now. They're using it. You don't have it to grow your company. They have it. You have it. Whether you see it or not, you have it. It takes that kind of money to float. This is one of the biggest reasons why companies don't get big very fast. They don't have the money to grow. The money doesn't show up. But you, in my example, you have 200,000. The beauty of the, or the crazy thing about this is somewhere along the way, you actually made about 300, $330,000. You saved it and you paid taxes on it to have $200,000 left to have operating capital. But now all your operating capital is on loan to all your clients. The reason why, another reason why CityTurf is where we're at is we changed the business model. That's how we lived. The business model became we bill you on Tuesday. We get paid on Wednesday. So, as an example, and this math isn't quite right. If your average bank balance was, let's just say it's ten thousand a day, you have two hundred thousand on loan. When you bring back that two hundred thousand, maybe now your new bank balance on it on by day is like forty grand because you brought home the money. And again, that's not perfect math. I just want to make an analogy. If you get paid immediately and you don't have to loan the two hundred out to your clients anymore, now that money's in your bank account, you already have the money to go hire the team. You have the money to get a $4,000 person, a $5,000 person, a $6,000 person. It's there, but instead of growing the company, you decided to loan it to your clients for free. That's business model stuff. That's how you afford team. The vast majority of your time needs to be spent on team stuff after you get out past the startup phase. And you need to find the money to build that team. So at the very beginning of this talk, I mentioned that if you get the foundation right, and by the foundation, I mean you get your vision right, you capitalize on opportunity, you build the business model, you build the team. If you get all that stuff right, then every time you add a new tactic, that tactic will work so much better. It'll work so much faster. You'll ultimately look like a business genius because you've got the core right that makes everything else work. If you get the core wrong, then yes, tactics will help, but they won't help nearly the speed and the pace that they would. And by tactic, again, I mean we implement a marketing strategy on top of our business. We now start doing email marketing. But if your business is really complicated and really hard, and you then you probably don't even do email marketing most of the time. Your team forgets to do it. And then when you do it, you're slow at following up. And when you do it, you're pricing incorrectly. You're serving the wrong client. So it doesn't work that great, but when the business model's nail down, when you're doing things right, and you do that email marketing, that tactic, everything works so much better and so much faster. So if you would imagine that, uh, imagine a campfire. If you, I'm sure we've all been around a campfire. A tactic is like adding a log to that fire. It's like putting another log on the fire. The fire grows a little bit bigger. It's a little bit brighter. Everything we just talked about, that's foundational stuff. That's the difference maker. Getting the foundation right it's like pouring fire, well, pouring gasoline on this fire. When you pour gasoline on the fire, you know everything really starts to take off. It starts to burn really bright. Now, when you have a log, a tactic, and you throw that log onto this fire, now that log like immediately it lights, immediately takes off, immediately adds to the volume of the fire. If you throw a tactic on a business with the wrong foundation, my example, there's no gasoline on the fire, then it just doesn't take off. It takes a long time for that, that log to catch fire. It takes a long time for that to work. Your foundation is the gasoline of your business. The tactics, those are the logs. It's a really, really important concept. If you want things to go faster and things go faster when you fires go faster, when you pour gasoline on them. If you want things to go faster, then you get the foundation, right? You get the foundation wrong, meaning that you miss out on opportunities that your competitors are capitalizing on. You craft the wrong business plan. You overcomplicate your business. You hire the wrong people. Your business is going to be hard. No matter how smart you are, no matter how capable you are, no matter how much you outwork everyone else in the marketplace, if you get the foundation wrong, you'll never live up to your potential. You'll never be what you could have been in business. So you might have noticed that the Dallas Cowboys are winning. Pretty amazing. I think it's been since high school for me. At least it feels like it. And so Tony Romo is injured. So Dak is the quarterback. He's our backup quarterback. He's our quarterback right now. And he's having a stellar season. Imagine if Tony Romo was never injured. And imagine if Tony Romo plays five more healthy years and Dak remains backup quarterback. We wouldn't know in Dallas and around the country how talented of a guy that he is. His future, where he is financially, where he'll go, career-wise, where he'll go, record-wise, where he'll go, would have never been realized. And the same is true for you. If you miss the opportunities, if you don't craft the right vision, if you don't build the right business model, if you surround yourself with the wrong team, you'll miss. You'll, your your potential will never be realized. Phil Knight. Was a really smart guy. He is a really smart guy. He had a great vision and he persevered when few would, but he also applied the foundational things that I'm talking about. He capitalized on the opportunity. When he started Nike, runners wore running shoes. Today, running shoes are personal attire. He saw that opportunity. He capitalized on it. That was massive. As manufacturing changed around the world and political environments changed in different countries, he moved manufacturing from one country to the other. He saw the opportunities and he did not destroy his company by getting stuck in a market where he couldn't get laid. When you had relatively unknown names such as Jordan Tiger Woods appear in the marketplace, Nike saw opportunity with these people and they signed them early to mega contracts. This is capitalizing on opportunity. He crafted a winning business plan around that opportunity. He focused in the beginning exclusively on runners. He understood them. He was a runner at Oregon State. He went and and hung out with the runners. The team that he employed, they were runners. They hung out with the runners. They put shoes on the runners. He crafted a business model around his client that would get him to where he wanted to go. And back in the day, nobody knew this stuff. Like he was totally making it up. There was nobody he could copy. The beautiful thing for many of us is we now have somebody we can copy, those that have preceded us in our industry. But we still have to do the hard thinking to figure out our business model. And then he built a team capable of executing that business model. In the beginning, they were predominantly runners. Later, when they had money, they were serious talent that had already done it. So if you've never heard this audio or read this book, there's a story called Acres of Diamonds by Earl Nightingale. It's very short, hour and something. I would highly recommend you read it. Um, it's a fantastic story, but I'm going to ruin it for you right now if you haven't heard it. Um, basically, there's this farmer in Africa, and this is a story from the 60s. It's, it's really, I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, so there's this farmer from Africa, and he has a, fa- a farm, and he dreams of going out and finding diamonds and searching for diamonds it's his dream. That's his passion. So he sells his farm. And he, he does this because, one, he's excited and passionate about it. But, two, he thinks that all of his dreams, his problems, everything will be solved by finding these diamonds. And so he goes out on this search for these diamonds. And he searches for years and years and years. Eventually, he runs out of money. He goes broke. Then he kills himself. Ironically, his farm turned out to be the Kimberly diamond mine which is the biggest find richest mind in mind in history. He owned it. Everything he needed, everything he dreamed of, everything he wanted, he already had it. He, he owned it. He lived on it, but he was convinced that the opportunity must be with these other guys getting rich somewhere else in a different market, in a different industry. The opportunity must be somewhere else. Like it's totally greener over there that that's a better direction. I, should, I shouldn't I should be doing what I've got. I shouldn't own what I've got. I shouldn't keep working on what I've got my farm. I should go where all those other people are because that, that'll be easier. That'll be faster. He had exactly what he needed, exactly what he wanted all along. The opportunity is right in front of you. And the opportunity is right in front of me. All we have to do is craft our plan. We have to create the vision. We have to craft our plan to go take advantage of it, to go get it. I believe to my core that if you'll do what I've talked about, if you'll go back to your hotel room, you'll go back to your office and you will think through these things. And then if you'll get with your team and you'll think through these things next year, when you're sitting here, you'll feel very, very different about your business. It won't be perfect. It won't be exactly where you want it to go, but it'll be much, much better. It'll be more in line with what you want and what you've dreamed of. If you do everything I've talked about, get all this stuff, right. I believe without question in five years, your personal life, your business life will be 100% transformed. The deal is you've just got to go out and do the work. You've just got to go do it. Thank you very much.